0: and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store where myself my my name is joe freming with me is paul muadib you may know us from the joe down and cast that movie we are the two weirdos from those respected uh organizations that like david lynch our other side halves do not (laughs) no no they do not (laughs) so last week we covered twin peaks the pilot Kind of gave like our background with it. We're going to continue that on as we go into episode two and three this week. Uh, Episode two, which is technically called episode one, because, you know, David Lynch likes to sign away rights to everything. Everything. (laughs) So it traces to nowhere and Zen or the skill to catch a killer, which would be episode three.
1: Which I think we'll both agree is probably our favorite episode.
0: It Uh, is the money shot episode. This is the episode (laughs) to me that, and we'll get into it, but uh, it really like expanded my imagination as a child.
1: uh, uh, Yeah, mine too. And I'm looking forward to hearing how uh, how it addressed you and what you liked about it and how it affected me. A couple of things before we begin. uh, And... Joe will know this because I have to do this in the beginning of basically every cast of this movie where we talk about omissions, corrections, because it's what we do. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 we make mistakes in our podcast. We left out a couple of characters when we talked about the pilot. We left out Josie. Uh, we left out. We didn't really get the hawk, I don't think, a whole lot. We didn't talk about um, Catherine. And, you know... Th- and Joe, we kind of talked a little bit before we, before we started the podcast. We both kind of agreed that's really the B-plot characters that as the things go on, they're not as important even though they're in the pilot.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not even B-plot. They're almost like C and D-plot. Because when I think of B-plot, I think of like the teens, like, you know, Donna and Bobby and, uh, you know, uh, Audrey These are like the secondary characters. You know, third would be like Big Ed, uh, Nadine. Norma. But then when we get into Josie, who legend has it that that role was written for Isabella Rosalini. Oh, really? (laughs) I didn't know that. Allegedly. Allegedly. But she does look, you know, the style of Josie does look a lot like Isabella Rosalini, the short cropped hair and all that. Oh, yeah but I don't think she wanted to do television or she, that might've been toward the end of her and Lynch's romance or whatever. I'm not entirely sure, but that's the legend has it. But these characters that I don't really care <laughs> about, I know like people listening to this who are uh, Twin Peaks fans might think that's sacrilege. I'm, I'm gonna be nothing but honest here. I don't care about Catherine Martell. I do, I, I do care about Pete yes i love, love pete Pete's
1: pete. important Mm-hmm. pizza i love pete I, and pete's important i would agree with that and it's it's a shame because we both like piper Laurie. Um, yes I, I just watched a movie with her and actually um even um mrs briggs um didn't realize she was the mom in tremors love her why oh. i never
0: put those two together um wasn't she also she was the 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 mother of the baby in a Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. So, you know, she constantly is just built for that mother role, which she nails. Um, so I apologize, I'm taking sips of damn fine coffee while we're, while we're doing this <laughs> and, and partaking in smokes because we're gonna talk about Twin Peaks. I have to do both of those things. Um, so we mentioned on our, on our pilot, we talked about this underlining current of what was going on in our lives, right, Joe, with the Jacob Wetterling um, investigation.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it mirror, it kind of mirrors it a lot. And like, you know, I think it, it is kind of, for me, it just kind of overlapped and it's just kind of like, so when I think of Twin Peaks, a lot of times I think about Wetterling and St. Cloud in 1989. Oh, it's just kind of all combined in that. And it's kind of weird now that we're adults we kind of, can look back and he's like, wow, there's a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> he's going, oh. and,
1: and, you know, this is something I really wanted to introduce our viewers to because we're talking about, we are personalized with it. And I wanted to kind of bring up the timeline because again, I did the math on this. Joe, I was eight years old watching Twin Peaks. It was eight. <laughs> and it was funny, I was re-watching the, the two episodes and it says TVMA in the corner. And I'm like, really, this was on TV? But then I thought about it, I'm like, it was really progressive in 1990.
0: <laughs> well, they don't have the ratings in 1990. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when so- South Park was probably the show that made the TV ratings become a thing.
1: <laughs> it had to be somewhere around that time, right? Like really when cable shows started to get really edgy, like, like yeah. South Park, yeah. It
0: might've been even Simpsons and Married with Children too, to an extent. <laughs>
1: So I, I'm just gonna run down some quick timelines so you guys can kinda see some of the things that we were dealing with in the months prior to Twin Peaks being released and why this really hit me and, me, me and Joe. So uh, on Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, Jacob Wetterling was abducted. Um, he was in a small town of St. Joe, um, which is about 75 miles northwest of Minneapolis. And he was leaving a convenience store with his friends on his bike And he was taken. Now, Joe, I I prefaced this uh, privately with you that I was going to tell you a story that still to this day scares the shit out of me. Um, October 21st, that Saturday, me and my two sisters, one who's now passed away, were playing in our front yard. And a car was driving through our neighborhood that none of us had seen before and had stopped in front of our house three times to watch us play. Whoever was in that vehicle. My mother came out and noticed this from watching us from inside the house or we in the front yard and <clears throat> made us go in and wrote down the license plate of the vehicle. Um, it didn't match or you know, we didn't really have vehicles or th- you know, the plates and things like that. Um, but that is something that the very next day, Jacob Wetterling was abducted. And I'll never forget those two days put together and just how much that actually terrified me to the point where i actually this is when i really got into video games i didn't want to leave my house my nintendo was my escape to the outside for months because i was so scared to leave my house to go to school and not anything else
0: holy crap dude
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is that is frightening stuff
1: isn't it yeah yeah and i and i rarely tell that story because you know it's it's one of those things where it's like oh, okay whatever but I swear on the lives of my kids um, and everything that I hold dear um, in my life that that is exactly what happened. And it's something that when I bring up to my mom, my mom shuts down. Like she's like, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it because I've tr- I've had that conversation with her a couple of times, especially when it came out that they found out who did abduct Jacob Wetterling many years later. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Immediately the search begins within minutes. The very next day there was hotlines and things going on. They were getting thousands of tips and most were crap. But the key thing is they found tire tracks and shoe tracks they thought were important. And then the next day the FBI came into town and were doing psycho- uh, psychological profiles on the case and we're helping the investigators yeah, handle all the calls. On the 25th, they can't find anything. The sheriff of St. Joe comes out and says, um, he's dead. Um, he's dead. This involved a sexual offender, we believe, based upon the FBI profile. And we think the abductor left the area. Well, remember how we, you and I weren't sure if this hit um, national news? On Thursday, October 22nd, it went on current affair. And they were offering $100,000 rewards from businesses from Minneapolis and St. Paul on that current affair. And Rudy Perpich, who was our governor at the time, I don't remember Rudy, um, talked to the National Guard, and the very next day the National Guard was activated to search a 700 square mile uh, uh, area for Jacob. I don't remember it being that huge.
0: I don't either. Um, I I think that stuff is, especially at our age, like eight and nine. I think that's just that's too big <laughs> to mm-hmm. really comprehend. So, I
1: I have to completely agree with you. Like, I don't think we realized the 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 severity of it. Well, then a couple weeks later, November sixth. The sketch is released, and we'll get to that, I think, in our next episode on how that terrified us (laughs) Twin Peaks, the sketch. Because I remember that sketch, and then there was a couple more that were released, and they were everywhere. You could not go anywhere in town without seeing those scary-ass sketches.
0: And here's the thing, too, which, you know, in hindsight, is like, when you, when, once we found out who was behind it, how did not anybody be like, hey, that guy looks exactly like the sketch. Right, right. And he's creepy and he lives by himself and he collects children's clothing. Right. so here's the thing. December, yeah, December 16th, they interviewed him.
1: December 16th, they interviewed him. And the thing was, was that there was another assault that happened on the 13th totally different guy totally different guy but they thought they had new tips but the uh, uh, they interviewed this this guy and i'm going to leave his name out till we get to the point where we're going to reveal both i think bob and who this who this guy was if people are really interested they can find it well a month later they interviewed him again and took got his tennis shoe and got samples of his hair from the Um, from the original scenes I talked about originally, they found these tire tracks and these shoe, these shoe prints. Well, um, so up then Painesville comes out, which is another town uh, within the area. It's not exactly close. And they confuse the shit out of the situation because their chief comes out and says, there has been years of molestation out here. And we think it's this guy you're interviewing no arrests were made. They linked this guy even back then. So they talk about this kid that was basically abducted by this dude. They did the tire tracks, but the tire tracks were, um, were consistent, um, with, um, the, the tracks that they, that they thought they were going to be, but they weren't an exact match for the tire tracks, the Wetterling abduction. So apparently they had tire tracks from when this other kid was abducted in Painesville and or was attempted to be abducted in Painesville and they matched it to the dudes that they were investigating still didn't arrest this fucking guy. They found fiber matches from the kid in Painesville in the dude's car still didn't arrest the guy in, in, in Febu- And then in February, the FBI is like, what the fuck is this? They take six agents off the case. They um, they eventually in February after that happened, they do finally arrest Heinrich at the pushing of the FBI, but fucking release him with no charges. I said the name. I apologize, but we'll get in that. Well, oh. then April thirteenth, which is the week episode two released. FBI's report that the shoe prints at the crime uh, correspond to the shoes that were this dude's. But because there was insufficient detail, the lab examiner could not 100% say it was that guy's shoe.
0: Remember this guy also had no alibi. (laughs) Nothing, nothing.
1: So this is what's all been going on leading up to the week bef- like before like the 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 in between when we had the, the the pilot and when we had this and they come out and they say we got this shoe print we corresponds but he's not our guy. <laughs> so episode so episode two drops and we have FBI around town. We have all these things that are going around. Joe, how does episode two open up?
0: Uh, I'm trying to. I just watched it today. Oh yeah, Cooper's hanging <laughs> upside down. So this this I I took a mental note. This is uh, episode two. Is kind of where all like the classic quirks that people associate with Twin Peaks comes from. And that that'll be the the damn fine cup of coffee, in mm-hmm. the percolator, uh, you know, just kind of like, and you, you I want to talk. It's it's way like amps up the quirkiness and tones down the ser- seriousness that we got from the pilot. Mm-hmm. That uh, so Cooper is not as uh, he's not as aggressive as he as in the pilot. His hair is longer. Everybody's hair is longer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Crazy what yes. happens 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Every,
1: I, was, I, have a, I have a note of that. Cooper's hair is longer. And when we get to Audrey, Audrey's hair is way longer.
0: Oh, yeah. Donna's is longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so, I still hate James.
1: <laughs> I have a mention later about James. We'll get to him when we get to it when he comes into the show. But one thing I wanted to point out, too, was that I, I never understood this debate. And maybe you can, I don't know if you felt the same way. People didn't think Diane was real. They thought it was just a name that he gave to his tape recorder. Now, I was eight years old, very literal at the time, uh, even though I had a wild imagination. It never crossed my mind that this guy was, was naming his tape recorder Diane. I always thought this was someone that he was sending the tapes to via mail. What if, what was your take on on him and I saying th- Diane? I
0: thought he was recording to a real person because he asked Diane to mail him the, the earplugs in the pilot. Right. Because it's a, the 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 Swedes or whatever are too loud. No, the Swedes are later. It was the Norwegians. It was oh, the Norwegians. Norwegians, yeah. It was the so Norwegians. Like, and that might have been in another episode. But he asked Diane to, like, mail him stuff and then take notes of things. So I, it doesn't make sense to me that she would just be kind of like, him to just dump his thoughts into the void. I think this poor woman was taking all of Cooper's inanity. (laughs) (laughs) He was neurotic as fuck, dude. Sitting through these long-ass tapes of Cooper talking about, like, his favorite pie and
1: stuff. (laughs) Asking your questions about JFK and Marilyn Monroe.
0: Yeah. Well, that's also kind of a nod to what the pilot was with the Marilyn Monroe reference. I caught that. Like, I, that made sense to me for the first time. I, after our podcast
1: yesterday and watching it today, I was like, oh, that makes sense. So, yeah. So, that's how it opened up. And, you know, you got this, basically, this weird-ass superhuman FBI guy running around. And then they cut to the diner where we get the – or in the not the diner, but in the um, hotel um, food area where we meet Audrey with her long hair. And they're <laughs> – they do an immediate sexual tension between those two. I thought that was like an instant click.
0: And, you know, the innuendo's not lost when he's talking about the grapefruits being freshly squeezed when this young girl comes walking up to him and he's like, got a fear boner all of a sudden.
1: (laughs) So the other thing I noticed as I'm watching this for the first time, or, you know, like, When I say I'm watching it for the first time, I'm really watching it, right? Like I'm looking at all the little things as we're doing this for this podcast. And there is a guy who is stage left of Cooper in a fucking bright ass Canada stocking cap that I could not take my eyes off that entire scene. It is, now that I've seen it, I will never unsee it. And I'm pointing out to you, I guarantee you'll see it's the first time I've ever seen this dude. And he is as loud as... The guy dancing in the, in the, in the school. Like, he, I don't know what the fuck Lynch was thinking about putting him in there, but it is so goddamn distracting once you see it. And, I mean, it is just this ridiculous 80s stocking cap that's just bright red that says Canada right across the brim of it. And it is very, like, methodically positioned. So you see Canada written. Like, Lynch wanted you to see that. And I don't know why, I don't know why, but he wanted you to see it.
0: Yeah, uh, forget Audrey Horn goes to Hollywood for Maholland Drive, where's the dancing guy, Canada guy, uh, spinoff movie we actually wanted. Right, I just wanna see them like, like
1: in a place where he's just eating fucking bacon and pancakes and the dude's just dancing around. I think Lynch can make a five hour art project out of that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so then they cut to the share station and Everyone is eating fucking donuts, dude. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I just want to point out, like Sheriff Truman eats donuts really weird. <laughs> yes, it was. He just shoves like half of a whole donut into his mouth. <laughs> As Cooper's walking in, I'm like, I'm sitting there I'm like, who eats donuts like that? <laughs> right, right, and I, I mean, uh,
1: they're they're fixing a light, they're cutting through all this stuff which I just wonder if there was actually something going on there because they're constantly working on that. But that does come back to play later. Um, and, yeah, everyone's really eating donuts. And then you got Cooper comes in and just starts railing all this stuff off on Truman even before he has the time to, to swallow, right, his whole fucking donut.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he he was also excited for the the coffee at the Great Northern. And this is kind of like – you know, it goes to the whole the quirks of the show, the catchphrases, the things that people just you know they kind of put in, and people latched onto it. And I think that was like a really, really great way to hook people in. Oh to, yeah. Oh, that eventually is going to go off the rails into weirdness <laughs> to the point where people were <laughs> vivid, just really upset when the return came out and they didn't realize <laughs> that they're not going to double down on damn fine coffee. <laughs>
1: No, no. And I say, you know, I, I, I was going to bring this up and I'll bring it up again. I'll say the same thing. But I read a read an interview um, or an article about about The Return, um, which is season three. And someone said, this is pure Lynch on heroin. Like this is this is a heroin dose of Lynch. Like this is the most amount of Lynch you'll ever get out of a project. And I think that people didn't realize just how much Frost really was season one and how much they appreciated the Frost side more than the Lynch side.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people confused the quirkiness to Lynch, because he is a quirky guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I would say a lot of the, this stuff was coming from Frost, but we do get the taste of Lynch further, we'll get into it.
1: when we We'll get into it, it. and so it's brilliant thing. when it happens. Like I see why those two work together so well, right?
0: Yeah yes they were they complement each other amazingly well so then i think you know again remember
1: we're eight year. i'm eight joe I, I don't know how you're eight or nine you know
0: yeah.
1: and <clears throat> they start going through the the lab report uh, doc hayward is going through the lab report and we oh, we also forgot to bring up ronette pulaski um, yes. it, which is important ronette pulaski um well at the end of the towards the end of the pilot. She seemed walking across state lines. Well, I guess it's not towards the end, it's, it's, it's in the pilot. And this is what brings in the FBI because it went across state lines because apparently nobody knew that the FBI could just be called in and needed help. The FBI came in and Coop came in because it, she traveled across lines, which kind of gives you an idea of whereabouts in um, uh, Washington, the Twin Peaks is supposedly set. Um, where a girl can just walk <laughs> a night and end up across the border, um, yeah. so they you know they're talking about Ronette Pulaski. She's in a coma. She can't talk. They can't get any information out of her. And the thing that that brought me up is you know they didn't have a whole lot, but they make big emphasis that within twelve hour span, Laura Palmer had sex with at least three people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and I laugh at that because you know what it is now? You know, like you and I know what it is. We know who she was having sex with. Um, (laughs) Wow, Laura Palmer had secrets. (laughs) They were kidding. And they're they're waiting on the the tox lab. I just love that scene. Like Doc Hager, the actor, uh, Warren Frost, so good at his deliveries.
0: Yes, and another thing too is like her autopsy was a bunch of shallow like stab wounds which um, is retconned in Firewalk. With Me. Retconned hard. That, that is, is retconned. But, I mean, frankly, everything we're going to be talking about here is eventually retconned. <laughs> right. Right. But, yeah, no, we'll get... no, that's, that's
1: one of the things that I noticed that I remember, too, going,
0: mm, no, <laughs> that's not how she died. <laughs> no, she did not die, like, with small little cut wounds or whatever. It's... A lot more brutal than that. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know which is
1: worse, honestly. I, I don't either. I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, God. I, I mean, I kind of want to see that version of, Twi- of Fire Walk with me. Because I bet that's brutal.
0: Oh. It, the, the murder scene in firewalk with me is already brutal enough, man. That's just... Jesus. <laughs> <geez. laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's this that part's redcon, Doc Award, and he's sending out the toxicology report to see that Cooper eventually, right, she was also on cocaine. Mm-hmm. Also, she's like, you know, average teenage, at least how I grew up, that's what teenagers are always, you know, screwing around, doing drugs or whatever. So Laura's just like, it's shocking that she's the homecoming queen, but if you've ever been a teenager, it's not that shocking. Maybe the three guys thing in one night. Right. Well,
1: and the other thing that I noticed with it, too, was that he mentions at the end, he says, who would ever do something like this? And then there's the cut to Leo. And I'm
0: like, red herring. Oh, that's so smart. Yes. So we they cut to Leo, and they, he's working on his truck. And, you know, he's being just a jerk, abusive. He's very abusive to his wife, Shelly. And he's like... You do the, the laundry, and she's like, Yeah, she's about to head to work. And he's like, Wrong. He just throws another bag of dirty laundry at her. And this is how much of a moron this guy is. He has a bloody ass shirt in this, his laundry bag that's important to him 10 minutes later, <laughs> but not leading up to. So he has, okay, his whereabouts are unknown the night of Palmer's death. He was, spoiler, he was with her. Right. And he has that bloody shirt. Uh, I don't remember. I'll have to rewatch Fire Walk with me, but I don't remember him getting wonked by the kill. No, it's, not, it's not. No, I, it's It's not. It's not
1: his blood. It's not his blood. OK. It's not his blood. Nope. It, it was Um. it was Jacques.
0: OK. Yes. All right. So he has this blood bloody ass, you know, like just really incriminating evidence. And, and this is what I do with the Joe down. I nitpick and Pointing at the comically weird things people do, Shelly is she finds it, and then he's like Norma is here, and then she just put instead of putting it in the washer, she puts it in the drawer next to the (laughs) lot, the most obvious spot,
1: and she doesn't put away that she doesn't even close the drawer all the way, and I'm like, how does Laura, how does Leo not find this, and. The other thing I have to bring up is, and maybe this is me being naive, um, but I know the climate in Washington State. There's snow. Who the fuck has a washer outside? <laughs> that, that takes a special cord, right? Like, like, my washer and dryer have to go to a special, like, I have specific outlets for it. I, is this a thing is it that I don't know about, Joe? Do people put their washer and dryers outside their house? Well, to me, it always
0: seemed like Leo was still building the house while they were living in it, because it always looks like it's always, like, it's still being put together. You know what I mean? Like, there's always, like, tarp on the floors. Mm. I don't know, but, this, yeah, they're washing machines purposely outside, <laughs> which would not make any sense, especially where this, this is near the Canadian border. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, there's no way that thing survived in the winters.
1: Like, that thing would be a rusted-ass piece of shit and have to be I, – I, I, that's the am thing. I'm like, are they are – they, are, I mean, I get, Ke- get um, Shelly and Leo are supposed to be kind of the white trash of Twin Peaks, kind of living in that area. But at the same time, he's a hardcore drug dealer with a lot of fucking money. You, you, you could put the washer inside, bro.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's just an excuse to beat her? Oh. Well, you ooh. broke the washing machine?
1: Leo, <laughs> what's, what's outside?
0: I got uh, the bar of soap and the like, sock now. All right. This is the fifth time I've had to replace this
1: thing that you broke. You broke it. Um, so yeah. then, so then after she stupidly puts the blood in the drawer, um, you know, we cut to James getting interviewed and my God, that forehead,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, James has a Beavis forehead, dude. Yes. He, he even looks like Beavis and look, the first time I watched the show, I didn't mind James. He wasn't a favorite of mine, but it, it, that song doesn't help later on. We'll get to that because I'm going to be raging about that.
1: You and I both, good sir.
0: But then season two, again, it's not even a fault of the actor. It's just the poor writing. But God, he has like the largest story arc. And this just all, everything about it is awful. <laughs>
1: It doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't build anything, it doesn't do anything. And yes, you know, we're hard on James. And I say this a lot in cast this movie, you know, we recast people and we do those things. And a lot of times it comes down to the writing and what they're given. <clears throat> it's not really anyone's fault per se of the actors. That said, I've, we've seen actors that can go through some bullshit and come out looking clean. James is not one of those people. The actor, it doesn't help. No. It doesn't,
0: it doesn't help. He's not the strongest actor. I mean, I don't remember seeing him in anything besides B movies after Twin Peaks. Like his, he just really didn't have a career. James Marshall, I think his name is.
1: Yes. Yeah. James Marshall. Yeah. Marshall or Marsden or something like that. Yeah. 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 He didn't. No it's, no, it's not Marsden. It's Marshall, I think. And yeah, he didn't have a career after Twin Peaks. But what surprised me, and you know, so, um, and the other thing I want to bring up is they lie about the fucking necklace again, and this just puts Cooper on this path again. This is one of those things we talked about on the pilot. If they had just fucking told the truth about that goddamn necklace, Cooper probably could have been on a on a different track and gotten this solved much faster.
0: At least James is; he's not lying as much as Donna is to Cooper. <laughs> At least he's like, yeah, I shot the video. I shot the video. Yeah, I knew Laura's doing cocaine. I wanted her to get off of it. You know, he's sincere, but when it comes to the necklace, he just doesn't want to answer. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. <gasps> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so cover's so mean. we so callous. So oh, the, then they bring him. Um, then they go to the, then they, then it cuts to the next thing where it's, where it's, um. Uh, uh. It's Bobby,
0: and Bobby and Mike.
1: Mike. Bobby and Mike, who call each other Snake and Bobber, and they drop Which, this. It's never brought up again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's never brought up again after this episode. The, these things are done. But yeah, it's like, come on, Snake, what? <laughs> what? Especially when you find out what he goes on to be like in 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 the return, you go that guy had a nickname snake okay all right fuck you yeah they call each other bopper and snake and they're called in and it's stupid um it's just dumb but i will say you know the guy that played bobby briggs dana ash ashton or ashford was his name ashbrook
0: dana ashbrook
1: he deserved a better career than what he got
0: yeah he did like b movie horror stuff I i think i've seen uh yeah, he wasn't a bad actor. Uh, I think a lot of people after Twin Peaks kind of struggled. Uh, they're kind of typecast, a lot of them. Uh, season two does not help anyone's career. Season, yeah, no, I mean, that, <laughs> but here's, the, like, so we got Mike and Bobby. Michael's, Mike's mad because Leo's calling at home because Leo is owed $10,000. No, I'm going to do this straight through. I'm going to do the Michael and Bobby stuff right here because yes, it, there's a light shined later that like we don't know as we're watching this, but Fire Walk with Me kind of gives us there is a hint of uh, danger to Bobby. You're watching this, you think he's you know a loud mouth or whatever. So they they all they all Leo this money. They meet him is it the end of episode three. Or is it? Yes, yes, it's um. It, it when, they, when they get out, I have it written down
1: here. Yes, yep, yeah. um, it I is a th-
0: I want to do this thorough line. So they owe, because it's, it's B plot, it's nothing really. I, I don't think we really need to overanalyze it, but they owe Leo a lot of money uh, $10,000. Laura has it in her safety deposit box, so they can't get it. Mm-hmm. I gave uh, $10,000 to a cokehead. Is uh, a mystery. We'll never know. <laughs> but right. they, they meet Leo in the woods because they're gonna pick up a football, an empty, a cutout football with uh cocaine in it, and Leo menaces them, and there's uh, I believe eventually it's Jacques Brenault's with Leo out in the woods. There's a scene in Firewalk with me that's a lot like this with Laura and Bobby. Bobby ends up killing a cop That Yes. (laughs) Yes, Bobby does end up killing a cop in
1: Fire Walk With Me. Yes, I absolutely does.
0: So I wanted to bring that, because it's kind of like mirrors this part where Leo's like being a, you know, he's like threatening Bobby and all that. Bobby's actually killed a guy. And not just a guy, he's killed a cop. So like. Yes. It adds a little more like gravitas to this character when I rewatch this. Because it's like, yeah, Leo's threatening, but you know, as far as we see, he's beating a helpless woman. He's not really like—you don't see him stand up to people his size. Where Bobby, again, he's killed a cop, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird because then season three happens. Yeah, he's he a cop. <laughs> he becomes a cop in season. I guess the Washington Police, Washington State Police Academy doesn't really look into the backgrounds too too careful. <laughs>
1: And I want to bring up because now you're on this line and I'm going to bring this up because I because I have this in my notes here. Um, what I thought was really interesting was that Bobby's scared because, again, there, there's some retconning because, you know, um, Bobby's now more menacing because we know in Fire Walk With Me that he fucking killed a cop. And Laura's all fucked up during that scene too. And we'll get to that. That's She finds it funny. Um, and you know, Leo is, is threatening bobby because it, he's making he knows that shelly is stepping outside the marriage and getting it on with someone else and it's with bobby and bobby's freaking out and then you know bobby's trying to bring up laura who leo
0: just banged the other night <laughs> yeah, and then he has no recollection of what happened and we'll get to that when we talk about fire walk with me
1: mm-hmm. all thing. So, but I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, the, the dynamic between Leo and Bobby is they're fucking each other's girlfriends and neither one of them knew. And knowing what we know now, Bobby's the more menacing of the two. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Leo, he starts off scary, but as the series progresses, he really gets glibbed to the point where it's comical how ineffectually oh, he is. Oh, God. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a whole
1: B plot. I'm glad we covered that now because I really don't want to have to cut back and forth. So the other thing I wanted to notice was they go back to that to that footage, that that James shot. And something that struck out to me again because I was watching more intently this episode, this, this, this viewing than previously was, you know, something that I think is lost now and maybe it's because film is not as readily available as it was back in our time or like the VHS recorders. Um, is that the the, the the quality of the footage they're watching really does look like a homemade video. You know what I mean? Like they went and got different film and shot with a completely non-camera to make that happen. And they cut to Laura's face and you hear her whisper, help me, which I thought was just a beautiful touch.
0: Wow. I have ever heard the help me part, but yeah, that is... Oh,
1: yeah. Turn it up. You'll hear her whisper. Help me as they're going as it's dissolving to the next scene.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I even li- was watching with headphones on and I missed that. Oh, They mm-hmm. watched that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. So then they cut to this bullshit conversation between um, uh, Don and her mom about how she was really falling in love with James the whole time. And I just got to say. When I was watching that scene, I got emotional, not because of the scene, because the scene was trash. It's because <laughs> of what happened to poor Laura Flynn Boyle. Like, <laughs> like there's so much promise there, and I'm watching. I'm going, oh, "Fuck my life, poor Laura Flynn Boyle." And for those of you that don't know, just Google. It. I'm not going to get into the goddamn. Yeah, yeah she like, Laura
0: Flynn Boyle happened to Laura Flynn Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> To the point where I, I think she even turned down The Return. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is like she, she had nothing. Yeah. But she also, she's instrumental with the uh, why we get later on, uh, John Justice Wheeler, <laughs> because oh, she's beating Kyle McLaughlin and so yep. Cooper. Fucking and Billy Zane like himself shows up. Yeah. So, yeah, this is going on. And, this point, yeah, and then the, the, Donna's mom is the mother of Zoe Deschanel in real life. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, tidbit. But I also want to bring that, because like, I think it's around this time, Hawk is at the hospital. Yes, yes! Polanski's mom. And we brought this up in the last podcast, how the one-armed man does not stand out to Cooper or Harry. At least Hawk is on top of that. <laughs> right? And he's, Hawk, that he's like, this is weird.
1: And Hawk is the shit. I love Hawk. Hawk is fucking awesome. And yeah, he's like, what armed dude? What the fuck is this? Like he totally goes full on like uh profiling on this dude. Like, this is a one-armed dude hanging around ICU. What the fuck is this noise? And yeah, goes and- after him. But then just stops at the at the stairwell. He goes in the stairwell. I'm like, mm, I would have kept going, Hawk.
0: <laughs> but this is also kind of like it ties in like this hawk scene because i think it's either preceded or followed we get hints, hints of the book house boys which is not ex- we just get a hint of it but uh big ed's talking to harry is mm-hmm. that he was doing his patrol yep. at the book house. interesting choice of words he's not a cop and then like they do this you know no scratch thing so you see that there's like there's something there that's like they're part of something, but we just don't know what yet. And then when James is let out, he says he needs the Bookhouse boys help. We don't really find out until later on in the series who and what the Bookhouse boys are. It might even be the next episode or the episode after, but this is laying the groundwork that it's a, this is a, another little secret organization within Twin Peaks. Um, y-
1: yes. Yes, and I believe it is in, it's in episode four or five that we do get what the Bookhouse Boys is, and, um, because it's revealed shortly before they go to one I Jacks, and then also in that scene <clears throat> is the first mention of Ra- Ra- Albert Rosenfield. Yes.
0: And, right I, <laughs> and I just wrote down, amazing. <laughs> We're snarky people, so Albert really speaks to us, and especially, uh, Albert is the MVP in the return for me on a lot of reasons, but most importantly in the return is he's in the rain and it's coming down hard and he just says, fuck Gene Kelly. <laughs> and it's <laughs> of my favorite things ever in Twin Peaks. Albert
1: is also one of my favorite characters for so many reasons. But yeah, the minute they brought that up, and this is also during that time frame when they're talking about when Jacques, when, when, when Jacques Renault is first. Um, brought up. Jo- Jacquinot is yes. first brought up. So then the scene cuts to a fucking C-plot with Norma and Nadine and the cotton balls. And the only thing of noteworthy that I wrote down on this one, and if you want to talk more about it, by all means, please do, um, was I noticed she said, I was up till four in the morning. Well, my husband was in intensive care. And I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. So they released people within seven hours of the intensive care unit in Twin Peaks. Like, you could go from being in ICU to out in seven hours in the town of
0: Twin Peaks. Is that how your hospitals fucking work? Especially he was drugged. You know, he's not waking up within seven hours. I mean, he got drugged by Jacques (laughs) Renault. And we we know Jacques Renault, he ain't using the fucking little shit, right? He's using the strong shit. Yeah, he's... I mean... Ed should have seen that, you know, that giant blue pill on his beard, <laughs> like, is anything but subtle.
1: <laughs> right? Right, he should have been seeing the white horse we fine later. Um, so, do you have anything else to really add about the Norma and the Nadine cotton ball
0: conversation? No, this is, a uh, long story short, Norma becomes successful with the cotton ball thing. Uh, to the point where you know she owns her own business in return that's all i yep. think you ever need to talk about these fucking cotton balls yeah all right fair enough good glad to hear <laughs> but again this is that quirkiness that
1: people loved right cotton balls just when i patch lady yelling about cotton balls at the oh. dude that's banging her husband at the girl that's banging her husband
0: yeah but i want to go to another uh quirk thing here too and this will be kind of is Josie Packard is gets interviewed by Harry and Cooper. I think it's mm-hmm. time anyway. We're going to yes. kind of around, but... No, no, no. This happens
1: right now. You're, right, no, you're right on track, because right after so, the cotton ball, it goes right into the Josie getting interviewed. So
0: here's like, you know, one, Josie is in full makeup, but yet wearing a bathrobe around the house. Uh, for who? Pete? Wait. <laughs> Pete. <laughs> yes, Pete. Yes. Pete loves it. I mean... Jesus. Anyway, so Pete and, you know, more kind of like B-plot stuff here, but Cooper and Harry show up to interview her and, you know, she, Laura was teaching her English. Her English is just fine. I don't, (laughs) I don't know why Cokehead Teenagers is teaching a full-grown woman English when she already speaks very well. Confusing, but whatever. But like Cooper immediately picks up through body language that Harry and Josie are an item, which is kind of like a, you know, goes to like how observant Cooper is here, but not when there's a one-armed man in the elevator with him. Right? Yeah. No, so I brought this
1: up too. I made the notes of this. Like, this is an ability of Cooper's and he'll do it throughout the series. If you remember, there's a bet later um, yeah. about it this is like his uncanny ability to read body language but apparently it's only be able to tell who's banging who
0: (laughs) (laughs) it is like spoiler the the bet is they're at the diner and norma says hi to Ed, and he's like how long you been dating (laughs) yep how long you been dating her
1: right and he's knew he knew that james was banging laura he knew that bobby didn't love laura Like, this is what it's all about. Like, he could tell, like, this is his uncanny ability. And this is the worst case for him to be on because everybody's banging everybody. So it's taken away from his fucking focus.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, but then we get the classic, uh, I don't know how it happened and how nobody would even can't smell it. But Pete accidentally left a fish in the percolator. (laughs) Right. They bring it up later. It's like, I can't get that fish taste out of you. How do you not smell? (laughs) Yeah. Because the most yeah. obvious smell in the world is fish. Don't drink the coffee.
1: There was a fish <laughs> in the percolator. And he seems happy about it. <laughs> he's got the grin on his face. And then he's cleaning out and he's smelling the percolator. He's like, ooh, I, how does a fish get in a percolator? But yes, that's that quirkiness. And also brings up, you brought up a point there where you find out that Laura was from, from throughout this entire episode she was tutoring johnny um johnny horn who was 27 years old and in the third grade
0: because um, he has emotional
1: problems has <laughs> emotional problems that run in the family no shit um he she was teaching josie packard english twice a week and she was also doing the meals on wheels program no yes. wonder she was on blow she was doing everything for everybody in this fucking town Plus, going to
0: high school, <laughs> having a, two boyfriends, mm-hmm. <laughs> including Harold. Yep, yep, uh, that, and Harold. Plus, she was a perfume
1: waitress girl. Uh, well also,
0: seeing a therapist and Dr. Jacoby.
1: <laughs> she had no time for anything except to do blow and run a 16 hour marathon day every day. So I brought that up. Um, Yeah. Then we get to the Catherine Horn and Ben, uh, the Catherine and Ben fucking scene. Uh, Can
0: I ask, uh, was Quentin Tarantino the director of this episode? Because we got some feed action going. We got some hardcore foot fetish in there, didn't we? Yeah. Which is, again, I don't think it's ever brought up again. Uh, It's not directed by Lynch. So I'm just going to assume this is, uh, let me see. I got the director here. Uh, Dwayne Dunham's work. (laughs) Yeah. Dunham, uh, sorry, but I think you're a foot pervert.
1: (laughs) I think, dude, I don't get it. Like, yeah, and and the way they set it up and they purposefully put like the bright red fucking, and I thought about this, Mike, Catherine doesn't seem like the kind of person that's going to put fucking toenail polish on.
0: No, she no. doesn't seem like the type of person who would tolerate some guy goggling her feet all night. <laughs> mm-hmm. But
1: they definitely do, and this is—I just wrote this down. Like this is straight up what Lynch or you know what, what Frost. I, its not Lynch. Really didn't have a whole lot to do with this one in terms of the writing and things
0: like this. This well, is it was written up. by both of them, but who knows who's contributing what? And a lot of a lot of stuff you'll find out just happens on set, and they just kind of let it go. I mean. This show is pretty liberal with that, I, I believe.
1: Yeah, I, you're no, I, I do know that you're right on that because there was quite a few things that just happened on the fly there, which seems weird that Lynch would be okay with that, but it is. But he wasn't directing everything either. Um, but I really just put this that this is just put in there to make fun of soap operas. like this is straight up the the soap opera spoof shit that they were doing.
0: Yeah, and we'll get even more into that, and then when we start talking about episode. Three, because they do a very meta reference on not only David Lynch's previous work, but it's also incorporated into a meta TV show that is about their own lives. Yes, yes, we'll yes, yes. You got, we still got, okay, so Ben Horn and Catherine are still discussing selling property that neither of them own.
1: Yep. Yeah, the worst business people in Twin Peaks. Now, I'm going to preface something here because we're going to get into more of the lore later. But in The Secret History of Twin Peaks, they talk about how these were basically the Horns and the uh, Martells were the two people that founded the town, essentially, and made it what it was because of the mill and the lodging for the people that were working at the mill and everything that was going on. There was a mine, too, I believe. Wait, right, right, Joe?
0: Yeah, there was a... I believe there was, yeah, because uh, that's uh, eventually how Owl Cave is discovered.
1: That's right, that's right. So these are supposed to be the generational, amazing business aptitude people of the town. And here they are spending what we find out to be later, a million, millions, millions dollar deals that they're working on here on property Neither one of them fucking own.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it is uh it's very confusing. The business, you know, I'm not a businessman, but there's some things going on in Twin Peaks here. One is selling property you don't own. Uh and then we find out Catherine has a cooked set of books for the mill, which I I'm sure Comes in, I just I don't care. That's a lot of this uh, c plot story. I just don't give a crap about. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're listening to podcasts above a convenience store for the the Ghostwood Estates, <laughs> <laughs> the Ghostwood Estates. hot takes, expose. But, <laughs> but you're not finding it with Paul.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, no. and, and I will say, I am a businessman, right? I've been in sales for going on fucking jesus christ over 20
0: years of my life now I've, I've always had a sales job of some sort so paul is your most successful sales that when you sell an item you don't <laughs> have the right to sell <laughs> so, so this is something that we call vaporware and i'm very familiar with because i
1: worked for companies where they've had me try and sell vaporware vaporware is where you have an idea <laughs> And you're trying to sell the idea of the product and you're trying to get if people are interested in it or not. So you start talking around the idea of it, but you never make a hard sale on the vaporware. You never say, we're going to sell this product to you that doesn't fucking exist. And these two fucking geniuses are doing exactly that. You know, He's bringing in an entire board of Norwegians flying them in, giving them a smorgasbord to sign contracts on shit that they don't even have the deal done. Like, this totally fucks up, like, what was going on in the first one. What would have happened if Audrey – thank God, Audrey did fuck them up. Because then the (laughs) FBI would have
0: been involved, like, what are you doing Sell shit you don't own, Horn? (laughs) (laughs) You're a different show. How do you sign a million-dollar contract to sell something that's not yours? Like (laughs) – those have dates on them. Yep. And, and then once it goes through, you know, like the, obviously this is property, it's gonna go through the government through all sorts of contracts, that becomes public information. <laughs> right, and then- You have to go back and see, oh, you had dealings. Well, this is insider trading, there's all embezzlement. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> okay, and then the cookbooks. Let me, I just wanna talk about, cause I'm gonna give you a hot take on this guys. Fuck it, I'm gonna give you a hot take on this. The cookbooks, <laughs> Okay, apparently there must have been a board of directors for the fucking Packard Sawmill, all right, (laughs) that Josie was sole owner of. So I don't know who this fucking board was because that is the only reason why you cook books is because you want to embezzle investment from investors into your fucking thing. So there is no reason why this dumb bitch has a goddamn cookbook because they're saying that one is showing that the mill is doing well and is worth money and blah, blah, blah. And they're, then they're going, well, one's well, showing that the mill fucking sucks. So you can make the argument, well, they're going to use the one that has the money. So that way they could get more money from selling the sawmill. But if Ben Horne's going to buy that fucking sawmill, <laughs> why are you making him pay more for it? Like, because I, 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 I get the idea that they were going to maybe split the money. But at the same point, knowing business, they would have gotten a better deal had the sawmill been down and he could have bought it for pennies on the fucking dollar guaranteed. She she tells him there's a cooked book, right? This is the guy you're selling to. This this is the guy you're selling to. And you're telling him he has a cooked book. This guy's still going to get it for pennies on the dollar.
0: What the fuck are you two doing? See, see, Catherine Martell's like Mac from it's always sunny. She's playing both sides. And then she tells both sides. She's playing both sides. (laughs) Mm. that's a that's a type
1: b personality disorder called by border port uh, called borderline personality disorder joe But that's a whole nother podcast
0: okay right. so let's uh <laughs> let's let's uh wrap up this episode two because we have episode three to go yes 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 so at the end of this episode we find out jacoby is the one who dug up the necklace we find out
1: is the one that dug up the necklace and what i want to say is we get more with the law lady, she at law yes. lady She asked Cooper to speak to it. Cooper won't. She gets offended. So that becomes the thing over there. We get the beating of that. Leo beats the shit out of Shelly, which we kind of hinted at.
0: Yeah. Uh, up uh, Because it was his second favorite blue shirt that she's lost. And it's like, dear God. Like, you know, we, you, you, you know, you just know guys like that. And you're just like, Jesus, why are you the way you are? (laughs) Right.
1: And then finally, the last thing I want to bring up too is that Laura Palmer has the vision of Bob again when she's talking with Donna.
0: Yes. Which, yes. Sarah Palmer. Sarah, Sarah Palmer. Palmer.
1: I'm sorry. Sarah Palmer has the vision, which prompts the sketch later. Okay. So, yes. Jacoby, he's sitting there. He's listening to the tape, and you find out he's the one that that stole the necklace.
0: So you have And a then she... In, hand. in her audio, she can find about a, a man. She's the mystery man that she was seeing. Yes.
1: So, then we get to episode three.
0: Which is... Directed by Lynch and you can tell because the first shot is a long establishing shot of people eating dinner. I know a lot of people love that Lynch does this. I find it interesting at times, but I like with the return, I don't find a guy sweeping up peanut shells for five straight minutes worth my time. <laughs>
1: there sorry. is a lot of Lynchian establishing and angles and framing in this episode.
0: Yes. Which is a lot of it. I do like, and it also introduces one of my favorite characters, is Jerry Horn. Oh God, yes! Oh God, yes! Because it's the Horn family having dinner, and Jerry comes swooping in with his baguettes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and they uh, they commit one of my biggest pet peeves as uh, eating or talking with your mouth full of food. I was just disgusted <laughs> with mm-hmm. Ben and-, and Jerry, not the. Ice cream tycoons. No, I love that. Their names Ben and Jerry. How awesome is that? <laughs> and,
1: and it's paid by David Patrick Kelly, who is probably one of my other favorite fucking. Oh characters. god, the
0: uh, Warriors. The Warriors. Crow. The Crow. Awesome. Um, Great character actor. I love David Patrick Kelly. <laughs> I love him too. He
1: was in a. Um, he was also in a, uh, a, a video game. A uh, very early motion uh, video, motion full full motion video game, FMV game with um, uh, the girl from um, Indiana Jones, JJ Walker and um Christopher Walken, and oh dude, it's nuts! It's nuts. It's Called Ripper. I rec I, if you, if don't even play it because it's not worth playing, but just watch the YouTube let's plays on it. It's worth seeing it for those guys interacting together. So yeah, so you get Jerry, and this is where, uh. <laughs> You find out Jerry knew Laura, um, and you get the uh, you, the first time you hear about One-Eyed Jacks,
0: Which is a, a casino brothel across the border in Canada uh, mm-hmm. by Blackie, a woman. Uh, you find out it's basically uh, she works for Ben, and she works for the Renault family, who is like a, basically a, can, a French-Canadian crime syndicate. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Ben and Jerry are eating this baguette and they with their mouths full of food they remember these girls from high school I believe. It was from high school that the smell of the baguette cheese reminds
1: them of these girls I just went
0: wow. (laughs) So you know they got erections and they decide to go to the (laughs) strip club and I'm going
1: what is that what is that smell like you know it's because I, I know what that cheese is. It's not the greatest smelling fucking cheese. It's brie and cheese, isn't it? It's yeah, brie. it's brie. It's brie. And when it's heated, it's not the best smelling cheese in the world.
0: Yeah. And also, the skinniest guy on earth, Jerry Horn, ate four of these ginormous things a day while he was over. In, was it France or something? <laughs> something. Yeah, I think it was He's France. he got, the, got like the
1: greatest metabolism on earth. And he just interrupts the family dinner, like drops shit on the giant table, just starts going off, fucking like, Johnny Horns, just back and forth. the the wife Horn, who's worthless and everything, um, that she's in. She's such a minor character. You see her like four times total. I she think. does have a
0: good recurring in the return where you actually really feel bad for her. Yes, grandson. Yes. <laughs> But and, uh, Johnny returns for that too, <laughs> but it's not the same actor. No, no, but it's nope. same actress though. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing
1: I brought up too was I thought was really an interesting shot and take on it that was subtle. Was there's a dark man on the wall, and yes. while and while Jerry's uh, well um, Ben's talking, it is like this black shadow person is kind of hovering or, or over. Um, ben and that raised them more of that duality side of it like they're showing an evil side of, of Ben Horn here.
0: Yeah I I noticed that too. That's brilliant framing from Lynch like I just uh, just fantastic the way he just kind of tells you with, with the visuals like you know that yeah Ben is up to shady shady crap. We already kind of knew that but like now he's going to a brothel with his brother and things are getting kind of I mean, Rand, I mean, these are just, you know, breaking the the new girl, the new recruit from the perfume counter, which is a callback to the last episode where mm-hmm. found out run that worked the perfume counter at horns department store. Yep. So yeah, now now
1: Jerry and now not Jerry, but now Ben Horn's in the running to being the guy that could have killed Laura Palmer. And yes. I, just a side question. I don't have brothers, but is that something brothers do? Do you guys go and fuck hookers together? No. At least okay. me and my
0: brother never did that.
1: <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> seem like the weirdest thing to me, right? Like I'm like, uh, that doesn't sound like a family thing that you do together. Like, well, let's go bond and go play, go bang abroad. broads.
0: Well, given the the amount of incest in this show, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, there's a I'm lot not... of incesty stuff. Yes before Game of Thrones made it socially acceptable, I guess.
1: That's <laughs> uh, a true story. That's uh, a true story. But,
0: um, <laughs> so, they, so they take off. Oh, I, yeah. Yes. And then one it, you
1: could, the, jacks. yeah, they go to one Eye jack's and they break in the new girl. And while this is going on, Cooper is in his, and I love, I love the portrayal of Cooper. He's just so happy in his room, tooting his, tooting his fucking Whistle that
0: he whittle the whistle.
1: He's whittle the whistle, and he's just like toot toot in his own room. He's like a small child when no one's around. It's amazing. Just the smallest things make him happy. And he and Hawk, Hawk calls him, tells him about the one
0: arm man. And like, like, at least somebody's recognizing the one arm man. We're and, crying out loud, he's the most, he's wearing a bright red shirt too this time. Right, and, it, so and attention like, to himself. And and the music
1: changes, and yes. Chris is like, "What our man? Oh, yeah, the what our man you fucking saw three two episodes ago." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a town of
0: five thousand people. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, this guy's been getting out of the no.
0: hospital twice now.
1: <laughs> On the unit, you're supposed to be keeping fucking
0: covered. Uh, so he's calling out to Harry for dating uh, <laughs> Josie Packard because he's recognizing that. But he's not recognizing the fucking
1: one-armed man. So yeah, and then he gets the letter and he smells the letter and whatever. Yeah. Um, so we already talked about Mike and Bobby. Um, so that's right. I kind of
0: want to talk about Agent Cooper now. It's yes. Kind of this is the thing with Twin Peaks. Each episode roughly takes a day, one day in Twin Peaks. It's not like, except it jumps a little bit in season two. After the reveal and the consequences of the reveal. Uh, but it's, it's roughly a, each episode is a day, one day in mm-hmm. weeks. Correct. So it's the next day. Cooper, it is one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, is Cooper has everybody out and he's he us rocks at a glass bottle at, after Harry tells him the name of a suspect. And like the whole time, like when I rewatch this, like, Twenty years ago, it just reminded me of the book Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, where the interconnectedness of everything. Hmm. Um, so, like, coming up with like a Kakamot, maybe scheme like this will lead them to a this solve the crime. Just great. So he's like, so it's like you know everybody with a J. He just throws a rock, and if it breaks, it that's that's their suspect. I love this. So much. Right, and what I loved is he he sells it to them. They're all sitting, and
1: they all got these donuts. They're all outside, and he's telling the story about how this is a Tibetan method, and he learned this from a dream, and going and meeting with these people out there, and getting just this Eastern, you know, crazy philosophy, and they're all and they all lean in at the same time, like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and it's
0: great. He gives them a brief history on Tibet.
1: Yes. Yes, he brings out a map of Tibet. Outside, he's like, Tibet. And everyone leans in.
0: Now, if I were a cop, <laughs> Go on. The FBI agent came, and this is like, this is how we're going to find a suspect. I'm going to throw a rock at a glass bottle. I would immediately call his supervisor. <laughs> because... This just does not make sense. It's great for a TV show, but even in the realm of reality, it's just no. There's no way this actually is gonna happen. <laughs> no, and what I think is so funny is
1: just kind of like how if it tings the bottle, you make a check. If it breaks the bottle, that's that's our man. You know, that's our big thing. So he has everyone say the name and do the things. That my favorite one is when they mention Jerry Johnny Horn. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Andy. Poor <laughs> Andy. He th- The rock just goes way the fuck out, right? Like, just yeah. – and smacks way Ray, poor Ray, uh, Andy in the head.
0: Yeah, uh, ricochets like, off a can or
1: something. Yeah, yeah, ricochets off a can and then a tree and hits fucking Andy in the head. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: he's reassuring everybody he's fine because he's just, like, waddling back and forth trying to get, regain balance.
1: Yes. So, I believe it breaks with Leo, right? It breaks, it breaks Leo. with
0: Leo, but it does uh... – Who was it? It does...
1: It tinged on one other person. I can't... Yeah,
0: he threw it and It fell over, but it didn't break. It might have been...
1: I think it might have been James. Jacoby. No, it was Jacoby. It was Jacoby. Yep, it fell over on Jacoby, didn't break, and then it broke on Leo Johnson. Yes. So, yeah, that is... More red
0: herrings toward Leo.
1: And I will say, when I watched this scene as a kid... I was big into um eastern philosophy at this time. I had actually gotten a a Bruce Lee book, um martial arts book um from a um from a garage sale that I'd gone to with my mom and had been heavily reading this the philosophies of uh Bruce Lee and everything like this and So when I watched this particular scene and him bringing up the Eastern philosophies and things like this, this is probably the scene that really hooked me on the show as a kid because I'd never seen anything like this on an adult TV show on network television that they were even talking about things like this or even entertaining it. As an adult now, it's so comical and silly, but as a kid, like this whole thing when they this is the way they're going to do it was just mystifying to me and like I said, we, we laugh about it now, but this was one of my favorite scenes and it still is. Like when I go back and people ask me, what is probably one of your favorite things from Twin Peaks? It's that fucking scene when they're breaking the bottle.
0: Yeah. It's, I love it. Like, again, I, when I rewatched, it was like shortly after I reread uh, Douglas Adams's uh Dirk gently book. And it was just like right in that whole kind of like philosophy of interconnectedness. You'll find a, you'll find you know clues are went through unconventional means. I just kind of I love it it's just it's brilliantly done and uh it and it doesn't like it's not like a joke and like you buy into this There's like you're buying into like, oh, Cooper might be onto something with this
1: you mm-hmm. Know? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so, so, you guys know, yeah,
0: joking around about it, you know, because you know, I'm stepping out of the show and kind of applying it into the real world. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. If this,
1: if this is how you know, if this is how I decide who I was going to call during my sales days, like if this was my boss did, like here, here, Paul Muad'Dib, here's a rock, throw it, and whoever, whatever letter you land on, that's you know, sell it a name. That's your guy you're calling. I I'd
0: find a new job. <laughs> <laughs> but i buy it i buy it because cooper is he's so sincere with his beliefs in this and i just i love i love everything about how he just gets every he gets everybody's attention like you you brought up everybody leans in to listen to what cooper has to say mm-hmm. even if it's like a brief history on tibet and the dalai lama and china which is you know uh, a lot of this i believe would probably like hail from lynch's Interest in Eastern philosophies with TM and all that, mm-hmm. and if, and I believe Lynch is a practitioner of the of the being of oneness. Like he, yeah, TM buys, transcendental uh, meditation. He's he's mm-hmm. huge into that.
1: Yes, yes, he very much advocates that. So then after this scene, we get the iconic um, Audrey dancing to weird music.
0: Yeah, which is <laughs> my favorite part. Was like you know it's just kind of like. I forget who says it, but she plays the music and somebody calls it racket. And it's just like jazz music.
1: <laughs> there, this, this has given birth to one of my favorite Facebook pages, which is Audrey dances to various music. <laughs> oh, uh, so, and I will share it with you at some point, but and I've posted a couple of their posts on there, but this guy is dedicated to taking this, that one scene and putting in other music into it.
0: Oh and
1: my it god! Is, it is, I dude, I love this Facebook page. It kills me every time I see it. They have them dancing to the fucking drop, drop dancing the drop kick Murphys at one point, dude. It's amazing.
0: Oh my god! Just a slight detour, but there's was a thing like that for Hooper's dance and Stranger Things. Oh yeah, which was like kind of like the same thing because he, he does that like that thirty-eight-year-old dad dance thing where he just shuffles his arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dance oh, I do. Yeah. They throw Dancing Queen behind. (laughs) Seven's looking on horrified.
1: Oh my God, genius. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to share that page with you. It is one of my favorite pages. It's just, if I'm ever having a bad day, I go look at a couple of those and I'm feeling great. So not much else goes in that scene. Just that's one of those iconic quirky things. But following up that scene, our hero, the favorite person to me and Joe, fucking Albert shows up, dude.
0: God, yes. And he shows up just immediately just shit talks this town. (laughs) Receptionist insults the whole operation Uh, to the point where he's introduced uh, Harry. And before he takes off, Harry threatens. What's he say? He's like, somebody else came in this they'd find their teeth three blocks up on Queer Street, which seems like, like a weird antiquated old timey saying, I've never come across anywhere else.
1: My old man used to use that phrase all the time.
0: That's such a weird thing to say.
1: It is a weird like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s slang thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They find their teeth two blocks up on Queer Street. My dad used to tell me that when I'd get out of line. If you don't, if you don't, you don't calm yourself down, your mother's going to find you two blocks up on Queer Street. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a confusing thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite
0: understand it as a child. I just went, what? Where's I Queer still Street? don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Albert comes in, and he's here to do the autopsy. He's uh, – uh, I don't know if you missed it, but I think it was in the pilot when Cooper sends a note to Diane. She want, he wants Albert and not Sam. Yes. We meet and fire walk with me.
1: Yes, yes. And yeah, yep. the yep.
0: ineffectual. <laughs> he's he's the doppelganger of Albert, and that he's not forward. He's not abrasive. He's kind of just really bad at his job.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, played by Kiefer Sutherland, I believe. Yeah. Yes, and um, yeah, so he shows up. And he's he's looking at the uh, he's looking at Doc hageworth's report. And he's like. Welcome to Amateur. We got an all-nighter. Like he's just <laughs> he just shits on everything and it's fan. And you just watch Cooper's face the whole time while like, shitting on everything.
0: He's so happy. <laughs> the best part is after Harry says that, Albert walks away kind of defeated. he Harry looks over at Cooper and Cooper just awkwardly stands there and gives him the thumbs up. Gives him the thumbs up. And I realize I'm like Cooper, you're kind of a
1: shit. <laughs> you're getting off on this on this instigation shit. Like he totally loved it. He's like,
0: <laughs> oh, it was it's so good. But Albert Albert's now in the mix. He's going to be up doing the autopsy on Laura Palmer. Uh, we'll find out in the next episode that he uh, runs into some headaches with that and. I really love the dynamic between Albert and Harry in the show. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: They're just like two forces, are like polar opposites who eventually attain a amount of respect for one another, which is kind of, you don't see that coming.
1: (laughs) No, 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 you don't. And you know, I know we're running a little bit long, but I I want us to say, you know, Miguel Ferrier, I love, is another actor I loved. Um, rest, you know, Boy. there wasn't. He was never bad in anything. I mean, even the no. goddamn B movie, Deep Blue, uh, uh, Deep Star Six. I loved him in anything that he was in. I also would go like, oh, he's in that. Okay, I'll give it a shot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like probably the one that comes to my mind is RoboCop. Yeah, like the yeah. snarky guy who gets shot up right away.
1: <laughs> yes. And yeah. If I find out he's in a movie, I will or even a TV show, I will see that, either that episode or watch it, because he's just, he's so good at what he does.
0: You know who his cousin is, right?
1: No. George Clooney. No shit.
0: I believe so, yeah. Wow.
1: Wow, polar opposites fucking there. That's like Clint Howard and Ron Howard.
0: Jesus Christ. Well, we know who got all the looks in that family. (laughs) Clint, Jesus (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have I have thoughts on Clint Howard. <laughs>
1: oh well we could talk about that. Uh we'll bring you on the, the cast that cast that movie one day as a guest and you can <laughs> talk about Clint Howard with us because boy howdy we have. Um, so then the next scene, I'm just gonna kinda gloss through some stuff. Um, yeah. it's Norma and Big Ed. She puts he puts the grease on the on the cotton balls, which I'm just gonna go through this entire plot line here. She's having a hard time with the drape runners getting the silent drape runners to work. He comes in, he's all fucked up from motor grease. He drips it on the cotton balls. She blows up on him, only to love him later because he, from him doing that, created the missing Silent. catalyst that she needed. Yeah. Um, followed up by that, Pete gets the, um, the ledger, steals the ledger and gives it to Josie. Um, Again, makes no sense why there's another ledger. There's two books. <laughs> And, and how Pete knew where it was and why Josie's asking for it now when she's, had, when she's known that all this all along, supposedly, that they've been trying to take the sawmill from her. Why now, of all times, is this being brought up? Why didn't she go to Harry when they started dating six weeks ago with all this stuff? It's just odd. It doesn't really work. Um, Leland has a breakdown, um, which... Yeah.
0: Yeah, in he,
1: in hindsight I think it's is is quite brilliant knowing how they you know when they where they go with with Leland as a character um, and, uh, so he
0: he starts dancing with the picture of Laura Palmer mm-hmm. and he ends up busting it and getting blood all over it and it, that's also it's called back in the return yes uh Sarah Palmer but with for different reasons.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So then we get to the ultimate part of the show, the episode, Cooper goes to bed.
0: (laughs) And he has one screwed up dream. Like, but he, you know, he already put forward, introduced, he had the dream about Tibet. So his his dreams are very important to him. He uses Mm -hmm. them to detect. And it starts off with Mike, the one armed man, talking about talk talking to an audience. This is this this part is was the ending of the international trailer, but it's chopped up. It's you know, it's great that Lynch was able to recycle that and put it into the actual show. Mike talks about how him and Bob used to kill together. They lived above a convenience store, which we see the convenience store. In Fire Walk With Me and in The Return, we don't get any of it in this runaway. Mm -hmm. But he uh, cut off his arm once he saw the face of God and Bob has been killing ever since. Uh, And he recites the Fire Walk With Me poem. Mm -hmm. And we see Bob in the boiler room, but then we get Cooper 25 years in the future in the Red Room, the Black Lodge with the little man from another place, otherwise known as the arm. Uh, He gives some clues to Cooper here. He says that favorite gum of his is gonna come back in style. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Where, and Laura Palmer's there, at least she looks like Laura Palmer. Doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? Palmer, she's my cousin. Yeah.
1: Mm Which is a clue.
0: Yes. And then he says where they come from, there's music in the air. And he starts dancing. And then Laura gets up, walks to a, a now older looking Agent Cooper, whispers in her, his ear. He wakes up from the dream, calls Harry. says, I know who killed Laura Palmer. Yes, it can wait until morning, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And he's got that goofy
1: ass hair from all the shit he's got in him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that end of episode. So like cliffhanger of cliffhangers. Oh, we're going to find out who killed Laura Palmer. It's great. I love this scene. I've always wondered why Cooper never spoke backward in the black lodge. Everybody else does except for agent Cooper, which has always kind of weirded me out. <laughs>
1: mm. Yes.
0: So I have a couple
1: of things I wanted to bring up on this, and I know this is your favorite scene, so I'm gonna let yes. you talk a lot about this, but a few things that I'm just gonna nitpick right now because we're snarky fucks. He sees Mike, the one-armed man in the dream, Joe. Yeah. And <laughs> When he finds him later, he does not put the goddamn connections together, that this guy is important. I think uh, could it be face blind uh, real suspects. <laughs> so that 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 bothered me I, I still love the line when 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 Bob is talking, catch you with my death bag um, yeah. amazing the fact that the you know I, I I wrote these notes at like fucking eleven o'clock at night when I was watching it, they wrote all these notes, and I literally have written down this i 'm a terrible person, so I apologize we're going to get really on, uh, p on p c with these notes fucking midget talking backwards <laughs> I, because that terrified me as yes. a kid yeah. i'm eight years old understand people i'm eight years old in the fucking 90s we weren't pc back then and i'm seeing this and you have to understand that there's that that that, that eight-year-old child still in me
0: <laughs> yeah it's still very jarring michael j anderson To put it lightly, is a weird-looking guy.
1: (laughs) He makes Clint Howard look like George Clooney. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, and I used to do this to my mom. It disturbed my mom so much, because, again, we watched it together, that SNL did a, uh, had Kyle MacLachlan on around this time to do a Twin Peaks thing, and Mike Myers came out as the one our man and did this really weird dance. So I would do the Mike Myers dance. I'd, I'd get down on a kind of squat and I'd dance around my kitchen and I would, <laughs> I would talk in tongues and freak out my mom. <laughs> oh. Just to fuck with her. <laughs> oh. I still do it to this day. I will still do it to this day. We were in my kitchen not too long ago, my mom's kitchen not too long ago. And I actually broke down. And I got and I started doing the midget dance. I'm like, mom, midget dance. <laughs> so, uh, and what I thought was weird too, is that before she whispers in his ear, she gives him a kiss, which I thought was odd. And yep. then whispers in his ear. So those are the things that I wanted to kind of talk about. I was like, oh, okay, Lynch. So There's something there with, Laura and what that was so I'm gonna give it to you and you talk about this scene.
0: Well it's weird because it's called back. Lynch uses this and during the reveal we find out she whispers, she does actually whisper the name. Yes. understand the kiss. She goes, sometimes I feel like Laura Palmer but sometimes my arms bend back. This is a reference to when she was actually murdered. She was tied up uh, that night There's all these kind of like little Easter eggs in this that you know is kind of floated out, and it's just like you, it creeped me out. It's still, I love it, like anything with the red room will just capture my attention, but it's just so, so crazy. I'm trying to, you're fine. I love love it, it's just (laughs) everything about it that like it gives you clues as to what's going on. But it's just like, this is such a left turn for this show at this time in the 90s. Nobody knows what the hell is going on now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this would be like if you're listening to the album A Hard Day's Night and they ended it with A Day in the Life. <laughs> yes. It just be like such a jarring left turn. <laughs> and up to this point, there
1: wasn't really a supernatural element. Yes, Sarah Palmer was having these visions, but we didn't know what they meant. No. And you, know, you felt that the killer was a real dude. And then you have this. And in the 90s, nothing like this was done. The only thing that I can even relate this somewhat to is this old 60s soap opera dark shadows but that was campy from the start this is like if you took dynasty and then the time that jr was shot you made it a supernatural fucking ghost that shot him
0: right <laughs> yep it it's uh yeah it'd be uh you know jr gets shot and then Next thing you know, Patrick Duffy is in Mulholland. It's just, it's, right. jarring. it's jarring. It's weird. And what I love about the first couple seasons is you're so spar- sparse. Uh-huh. I think, like, people like, all are suddenly intrigued. We don't get the Red Room again for a long time. No, 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 you don't. Like, everything
1: goes back to normal, but there's this element in the back of your mind, which I think is the, is, is the wonderful hawk. Because you're like, what was that? I want to see that again. And it's one of those brilliant things of, sure, but you're only going to get a small amount of it.
0: Yeah. And it's, again, up to this point, we're talking about like soap opera stuff, like Ben Horn and Catherine being really bad business people. And like everything's just like straight up like every soap opera you've ever seen. And then that just takes this really awesome yet weird (laughs) turn of events like where you're like I remember watching it and I was like I couldn't comprehend what was going on but it it was watching this like really expanded my imagination I was like oh you can do stuff like this Mm -hmm. and so what happened was like as a kid I really liked to draw but I remember that it was always like kind of like straight up just normal things or whatever This is when like my drawing started becoming surreal because it's like, oh, it is acceptable to do something weird. You can do that. You know,
1: I'm not gonna hide anything here in terms of my youth. I had a pretty crazy youth um, experimenting and doing things and I can really pinpoint it to this kind of unlocking that portion of of my imagination going, there are things out there that I cannot understand. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, you know the the framing the color the sound it is so stark different than anything else in the show and if you go back and again you know you could sit there it, it's harder in history but i would challenge anyone to go back to the 1989 1990 and look at what was on TV and look what, what the shows were, there was nothing like that ever seen.
0: No, it was, I mean, this was just, I can't even imagine what the network was thinking when they, I'm sure like, you know, they had hires up seeing these beforehand. And like, could you imagine like, Hey, we have this hit show on television. Wait, what the hell? That's, <laughs> I, I've often wondered
1: how many people knew because I, I, I just imagine like there are some network people that didn't know and didn't see it till it aired and had no idea this was happening. <laughs> I, I, because I, I can't imagine whoever, whoever did, whoever or if it was allowed, like they're like, yep, run with it, go with it. Whoever that person was needs the fucking Lifetime Achievement Award for allowing that to fucking happen.
0: Oh yeah, it, that's when television really changed. This, this, this it's like, it's all, it not even that long. It's like maybe two, three minutes long. And it, this part just made TV okay to be artsy instead of just selling commercials. It, a lot, it just kind of opened that floodgate and people were watching this when it aired. And then, you know, like we talked about last time, all of a sudden, like a few years later, you have X-Files. You have all these shows that can do different things because Twin Peaks just swung for the fences on it. Like, you know, David Lynch, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to put this in here, cancel the show rate right afterwards. It's going gone. <laughs> right,
1: right. And the ratings skyrocketed after that episode. Like, Yeah, people were on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah people were like what is this we have because that was the cop i mean that was i remember going to school and talking to the guy that i talked twin peaks about and i i wonder if that put him down the fucking weird path that, yeah you know that that fuck him up um <laughs> and are just are you and i just that fucking willful that we weren't gonna let it i don't know but it it this was the the cooler talk everyone was talking about this there was articles in the paper about that episode what was that we
0: saw on twin peaks last night yeah and you knew you know something is it shifts especially in the 90s something that like changed the game you know it was was like a few years later when funny enough, the simpsons paid homage to that with a who killed, who shot Mr. Burns episode. They do a twin peaks parody. That's when you kind of know that's in the, that's there now. That's yeah. That's in the culture that that's, it's in the culture. Now it's, it's there forever because you can watch, you could play that Simpsons clip to somebody and they'll automatically know that's twin peaks. A hundred percent. Watch the show. They just know that's twin peaks. So to kind of
1: cap this episode as 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 we talked about in the beginning and what me and Joe were going through through our childhood terror, this added <laughs> to this element of, holy shit, there's this investigation that's mirroring what I'm watching on TV and nothing is what it seems to be. What killed? It didn't become who came, who killed or who abducted. Jacob Wettling, to me, it became what took Jacob Wettling.
0: Yeah. It's, it added for good or bad, I think it added a lot more menace to that atmosphere, especially for me, because like, you know, you see like, you know, there's just these little clips of like Bob hiding behind the bed. Like, just weird stuff like, God, what is out there? What is this? You know, like what kind of entities of evil are out there you know it's like is it personified what is this and that this at ep- this particularly this episode kind of just brought that out like it became much more menacing i think after seeing this in my mind
1: 100 completely completely agreed with you and again like i said i became a recluse at eight years old from all this i mean i completely avoided the outside um which went against my total nature as an extrovert because um, I've always been extroverted. You know that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like this, that experience and then this show just added to everything that was, and you're exactly right. It was what is out there. What is it that, that this show is telling me? Cause again, we have never seen anything like it. What is it that the adults aren't telling me is out there? this opened my eyes to a whole new realm of thinking.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it, it also, for me, it made me afraid to even sleep sometimes. Just oh. like- <laughs> Yeah, dude, I slept with the light on for a while. Yeah, cause like going to sleep, it's like, what am I gonna find out about the world? Cooper's finding out about things in the world, the world that's very frightening when he goes to bed and he's a bigger guy than me. You know, I'm just a little kid. You know, it's just like one of those things that just kind of, it presents a very real fear for things, but I think it's also like you start thinking about things a lot deeper. And yes, at that age, you start overanalyzing it in that little kid imaginative way where it's like, you don't, you can't really put your finger on it, but it's dark and it's scary and your parents can't explain it to you. And that's probably the most frightening thing. <laughs> right. And and
1: I will totally admit it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I'm you know, We're almost 40. Um, I slept with the light on, I think, till I was about 12 years old from all of this. Not, I mean, I'm not going to say just fucking Twin Peaks doing it. But, yeah. you know, from the whole experience of of the Jacob Butterling uh, and then, you know, watching this show and combined and that whole idea. Yep. And you're right. I thought on a much deeper level than people around me. Yeah, um,
0: I slipped the light on after this, and especially after the reveal, because the reveal to this day is it, I, it, it traumatized me. <laughs> like that was scary. That should not have been. Like I'm still shocked that was on TV. I
1: well, we'll get to the reveal because you know you know my story about the reveal, and I had a worse version of the reveal than you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so I want to say that for the actual reveal episode because that's a story in and of itself but that i think is the perfect way to kind of end this episode this podcast is that well all this real life stuff and we're seeing this national tragedy play out and we have fbi agents and we're watching a show that's mirroring it all of a sudden the show takes a hard left turn and these two eight-year-old kids who are watching this show their imaginations take a wild left turn with it in 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 the epicenter of a tragedy.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it, I could probably, I can definitely say this episode probably changed my life and I don't know if it was for the better. <laughs> I will completely agree with you. Yeah, I'll completely agree with you. I came out, dude, it, it's
1: kind of like they say, you know, you're never, you're never the same after the first time you do mushrooms. I was never the same after being eight years old watching episode three of Twin Peaks.
0: Same here, absolutely
1: so all right well i think this is a good end to the to the podcast um joe thank you um and we'll do the next one we'll we'll both put out in two weeks um you'll find out on the joe down um you can go to our facebook page which is the name of the podcast we'll be on soundcloud we'll be on um youtube um joe go ahead and take us out uh
0: that's it uh and see you guys in uh See you again in 25, no wait, two weeks. Two weeks, not 25 years. (laughs) Please don't let it be 25 years. I'll be having a colostomy
1: bag. Later, everybody. (laughs)